Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have Marcus Osborne, Vice President Health and Wellness Transformation at Walmart. His background is in healthcare at Walmart, various years as uh, Vice President Payer Relations, Senior Director of Healthcare Savings Programs and Global Sourcing. Even did uh, business development in healthcare prior to that as a consultant, but many years in healthcare. And it's a privilege to be able to have Marcus on the podcast. And uh, Marcus, welcome. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. So I wanted to kick it off by asking you, number one, did I leave anything out in that intro that you wanted to share with the audience? No, not really. I think you probably hit it. I guess the only thing I would say is I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of my life was actually not in healthcare. And so I, in management consulting, I was actually in government and working on internet policy and had a kind of brief stint, very small stint kind of doing China trade policy. I'd say a lot of my sort of, as I sort of think about healthcare, a lot of my thinking actually comes with a little bit of a bias about what other, what it happens outside of healthcare. I, I think healthcare is a little bit insular as an industry. And so, totally um, yeah, that. so I think it's probably the other stuff that I've done that I actually tend to think is more important than my own, what, what you say is my sort of healthcare experience. Huh. Very interesting. I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more as we, as we open up here. So what made you decide to go from your previous expertise now into the, the healthcare sector? I don't know that I actually, I often say I didn't decide. Uh, it was probably not what I would have decided to do. It's sometimes make a joke. It was <laughs> it was bad luck. But in reality, it was, I mean, specifically here within Walmart, it is kind of a bit of a strange deal. You think about Walmart, Walmart is not a healthcare company, but I've spent right. 11 years doing healthcare work in the company and been my entire time with the company. I was given, it really kind of goes back to as I was kind of a late entrant to business school, I went to her business school and was late entrant. And as I was leaving and kind of looking at opportunities, I was intrigued by Walmart, I was intrigued by platforms and the ability of platforms to to have impact in people's lives. I'd been involved in some other significant platforms, including federal government and the White House, and knew that could saw what could happen if you could really leverage platforms in innovative ways to drive value in the market. But when I sort of came on, I was given sort of options. I was told I could go in and work 
Walmart was doing a lot of work in the financial services area, and that there was an opportunity to disrupt in that space, and then there was opportunities to disrupt in the food space. But the key leader that I was engaging with at the time, who would end up becoming the CEO of the company, of the U.S. business, um, said, but if you were to ask me, I think the health and wellness business is, is the one that has the greatest potential to drive impact. And so he sold me on it. So that's how I sort of got into the role and why I've kind of stuck and have kind of stuck with it since. That's outstanding. And and so this idea of platforms is is intriguing, you know, and, and as we see more and more M&A activity, folks wanting to center themselves around platforms, what would you say a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys addressing it? That's a good question. I, I would say that probably the, the number one thing that needs to be on, and when you say medical leaders, I would actually sort of broaden that. To think about anybody, I mean, particularly if you're an employer like Walmart or uh, AT&T or Verizon or General Motors or whoever it is that and you employ a lot of people and you're paying for their health benefits, I would say you're a medical leader. And so I sort of take that as a very broad, if you're paying for health care, if you're consuming health care, if you're providing health care, you know, what, if you're producing things that are used in health care, then you're in the healthcare sector. I would say that probably the, the key topic right now is I use this analogy a lot that if you start the race poorly, you finish it poorly. So I actually think our sort of what I find is that we are starting the race poorly as it relates to healthcare in the U.S. And what I mean by that is we are the kind of analytics and insights that occurs within the sort of sector and industry to help us truly understand a couple of things. One, the real kind of the true healthcare reality of all of us as individuals. What is my sort of true healthcare reality in the moment for me? Do I have sort of chronic diseases or do I have any kind of disease or disease risk? Or if I do have a disease, how's it progressing? You hear all this noise, when you hear a lot of talk, not noise, but talk about social determinants and their impact on our health and healthcare spending. You know, do I know whether, how do I know whether a social determinant reality is applying in my life? You know, do, and I, I think about social determinants very broadly to include things like not only Am I employed? You know, what's my financial situation? Have I lost my job? Do I have marital stress? Am I a caregiver for an aging parent? Have I been through adverse childhood events that now might be impacting my health? All those sort of things matter. And what I tend to find is we're blind. And that's because we're using data very poorly. We're not leveraging the vast amount of data that exists, not just traditional healthcare data like clinical data or claims data, but thinking about all this behavioral data that exists about us as human beings and leveraging it to understand our health. Secondarily, we are doing an absolutely atrocious job systemically at really analyzing providers of care. And what I can, what I, I say this often, it actually should go without saying, but people don't want to say it. There are good physicians and there are bad physicians. There are some physicians practicing today that are doing an atrocious job. They're providing wildly inappropriate care. They are providing low quality care and they're doing it at a high cost. Yet we Yet they continue to practice, and in most cases, they're not distinguished within the networks that they operate. And that I think we are doing a bad job then of enabling our physicians to actually understand how they're performing. Are we transparently sharing with them not raw data, but the analytics and insights that tell them how they're performing, how they're performing relative to somebody else? What does good look like, and what do they need to do to get to good? And so when you think about both sides of it, poor job that I think we're doing around consumer health analytics and the poor job we're doing around provider performance analytics, I believe everybody in the healthcare sector, whether you're the payer, whether you're a provider, whether you're a product, should be saying we're, we're starting the race poorly because we're completely 
unintelligent and blind and that mm -hmm. the solutions out there today are kind of failing. And so the real question is, how is we as an organization, you know, if you're an organization and that leader, what are you doing to either change the analytic approach or sort of force the system to kind of bring you something that's better? I think more needs to be done there. Now, that's a really, really interesting insight, especially around the idea of optics, right? We're starting to race poorly because we don't have the right information and we don't understand right. what good is. So what are you guys doing over there at Walmart? Anything in particular that's helping you bring Walmart some better optics to get things done better? Yeah, I mean, I guess one, probably not, even though I sit on the business side, which means I serve a lot of what I do or most of what I do is about helping address consumer healthcare needs or, you know, the, how do we address the needs of Walmart's customers as it relates to healthcare? But the thing that I, you know, that I have really been most impressed by recently is some work that's actually coming out of our benefits organization in support of our associates. And it relates to, we have one of the oldest programs in terms of going directly to providers outside of our ASOs and working with, in this case, health systems to try to get better care for our associates. And so we, we really were at the forefront of what now called the Centers of Excellence Movement. So, mm -hmm. you know, groups like us, Boeing, Lowe's, and others who sort of have pushed this. But what was interesting is if you look at that, you know, where we've now pushed Centers of Excellence in over 20 kind of therapy categories or, or procedural categories. So it's not just like hips and knees and dent placement, but it's now for, for cancer, for mm -hmm. all cancer care. And when we look at the results that it's just amazing, right? I mean, what when was the results were really in many ways unanticipated, and they were, but it was built around this belief that not all the providers are same, and that you need to identify the providers who deliver who are the highest value. And one of the things that was interesting, you look at the results of that COE of our COEs, individuals who were being directed for hip and knee replacement, over thirty percent of them were being basically sent home and put on a new process where they're told, no, you don't need to have your hip or knee replaced. Over half of individuals being told they need to have a vertebrae fusion are actually being sent home told, no, there's a better approach. Of the vast majority of individuals being sent with for stent uh, placement were being sent home saying, you don't actually need it. There's a better path. And even on cancer, some really kind of, some we've seen some frightening things, frankly, but over, or they're right about a third of our substance being sort of told that the treatment protocol you're on for your cancer is inappropriate. And that, you know, being told that you don't need six months of chemo, you only need six weeks, or you don't need to be on chemo and radiation and a drug, you only need the drug. And the benefit is, one, it's massively improving the health, that pushing that sort of model and us sort of finding that you need to double click and kind of push on trying to drive utilization to these high value providers because you need to get the most appropriate care at the highest quality, at the lowest total cost that the benefit has been one to our associates who are living healthier lives, getting back to work sooner when they are in work or, or more productive, but two, it's driving significant cost savings to us as a plan and an employer in doing it. And so I think that's really kind of pushing us to say, you know, back in the earlier point, which was we need to get our providers to do better for us, to do right. And we can't entirely hold them responsible today because they don't entirely know how they're performing. So until we tell them where and how they're performing, we can't sort of expect them to kind of do more because the, most providers think they're doing the right things today, even right. if they're not. But yeah, so that's one of the big areas we're thinking about how you take that idea of how do you identify and assess the value of a provider and do it not just for our associates, but actually how do we bring that, that information to our customers and help them make smarter decisions as they are engaging more broadly in the system.
that is a fascinating tweak to something that has provided a lot of value to you and your associates that frankly could help a lot of healthcare consumers. I think that's a really great idea. And I think you're definitely paving the way for something really good here for the folks that decide to work with Walmart on this. Can you share with the listeners a time when you had a setback, maybe something that you didn't expect happened within this space and what you learned from it? If you're really trying to push the envelope and be innovative and try to better serve consumers, um, you're going to have a whole bunch of failures and mistakes. So there's there's a lot. I think the one that I actually tend to sort of focus in on goes back to actually when I came in, I was involved with trying to kind of iterate and think through what is sort of the next version of our clinics business look like. There, this was right about the time when all the retail clinics, all the retailers were trying to launch retail clinics. And now it's become a little passe with, you know, Minute Clinic at yeah. CVS and Take Care at Walgreens. But one of the big mistakes we had is we actually, I saw that one and it still sort of used it a lot where we had a very kind of constrained scope of service on the clinics that are operating within our four walls. And the reason for it is we were very much kind of listening to the AMA and other groups about what was sort of appropriate and not at retail. So we took that to heart. We were hearing providers as this is, you should only deliver these kinds of services and so on and so forth. And I can remember a situation in one of our markets that happened to be in the Colorado market where we had uh, one of our partners that was operating clinics in our stores at that time had done a survey of, and we had constrained their scope of service. So they had to, we told them these are the only services you can provide, you know, pink eye, strep throat, flu, maybe some back to school physicals, and that's it. But they did some surveys and they asked their existing individuals who had used the clinics, you know, were they happy and were there other services they'd like to see rendered? And they actually then asked other customers who had not used the clinics, but maybe were willing to consider doing so, were there services that if they did render them, they would use them? And one of the things that was interesting was an overwhelming response from both groups were around women's health services, pap smears and pelvic exams, particularly. And the rationale for it was pretty logical. You had women who were saying, these services are really hard to access and I have to go utilize them every year because if I don't, then I can't get my birth control re-upped. And all I really want is a simple and easy way to get my birth control every year and not have to go through this massive process with a lot of expense to get an appointment with an OBGYN and do all this other stuff and get a prescription. Like, it's just too much. Like, it shouldn't be yeah. that hard. But we, we as a business were sort of so keyed in on what we were hearing from the medical community and everything else, that those kinds of services are not appropriate or that we would hear from leaders within the company who would say, well, you know, women don't want to come into a retail setting, into a clinic and disrobe and have these things happen. So the failure was that, and I sort of caution this, that, and it's because it's happened a lot here and I've seen it with other organizations, the healthcare system often fails to listen to the consumer. And at the end of the day, healthcare is a direct-to-consumer business. It is the exact same as retail. Yeah. It is a consumer business. It is the interests of payers, the interests of providers, the interests of pharma and device manufacturers do not matter. All that matters is, is this the right thing? Is this sort of what the consumer wants? And so I think the failure and mistake on our part was that we continued to constrain a scope of service around something that we had consumers were saying, I'm, I want more, I'm willing to do more with you, give it to me. And there was no actual reason that we couldn't do those things yeah. other than we were too busy listening to the interests of other parties as opposed to the interests of the people that we were trying to serve, which are individual consumers at the end of the day. Fascinating. So did you guys expand now? Are you offering those services? We do. Yeah. In our primary care clinics, we do. 
Outstanding. So a great lesson to learn from and appreciate you sharing that one, Marcus. Listeners, if you're approaching things, you're an employer, how are you handling your, your business? Number one. And then number two, to Marcus's point here, it is a direct to consumer business. Healthcare is. So what are you doing to listen more to your patients? This is so key. Tell me about uh, one of your proudest medical leadership experiences uh, that you've experienced to date, Marcus. Anything you want to share? Anything that yeah, you're I mean, it's probably the reverse of the example I gave you of the failure, which was, I guess goes back maybe about, you know, a number of years ago. It's maybe seven, eight years ago now. But we were seeing, I think, about the Medicare market, and particularly the prescription drug plan space. And what we were seeing was there seemed to be this kind of push partially from CMS and partially from the groups that are offering plans in the market that it felt like everything was becoming homogeneous that it was all the same. Like it was hard to distinguish one product from another, except for brand. You had a United ARP product and a Blues product or a Humana product, or at that time, a Coventry product. And what we started, what we were seeing was when we actually engaged with consumers, particularly seniors, and said, what are you looking for? What we were finding is there, was, there were whole big swaths and segments of the Medicare population that were being largely underserved by the solutions in the market. And so we started to engage with a lot of the plans that were out there. And um, had an opportunity at that time to engage with Humana. And in the course of sort of discussing with Humana, we said, we think there's an opportunity to create a unique product in the market that is designed for a much more cost-conscious Medicare consumer who will, in fact, change their pharmacy of choice and will, in fact, is very open to considering generic alternatives over the branded alternatives or branded products in the market. If they can get that overall plan at a very low cost that is priced in a consistent way and that that's open and kind of transparent. Yeah. And so we sort of work with them and said, we would like to launch, let's launch a PDP plan that's built around that logic, around the, the, that maybe it's not for all consumers, but there's a big chunk of them that would benefit from it. So, you know, as I look back on it, we did, we launched what was called the Humana Preferred or Humana Walmart Preferred RX plan. It was ended up being far more successful than we ever imagined it would be, far more successful. I mean, even in the first year, in our wildest dreams, in the most absurd expectation of what we thought would be the total number of enrollees in a new plan, it exceeded that by two or three X. So, amazing. I mean, which was Congrats. amazing. But it wasn't the sheer numbers that came on. It was just the fact that, you know, I think that's a good example of like we actually listened to customers and we built something that was, while not perfect, was more based around what we thought their needs were and they rewarded us. They told us, love your product because over a million of them enrolled in the first year, right? So I look at that as, as just a great moment because obviously it sort of drove great business results, certainly for Humana and it benefited us. But I look back and there was a study that was done and, and I, don't, I don't remember the sort of whole, but they look at that when that plan was launched and then what the reaction it caused competitively in the market. And the, the estimate is it sort of saved systemically it's helped drive over savings over $10 billion annually. I know a lot of that accrued to consumers, to individuals. And I think about my mother's on Medicare, my father's on Medicare, my stepmother's on Medicare. And so I think about the environment that they kind of entered when they became eligible for Medicare, which was right around that time, that I think it sort of helped that hour that I know that that what we did kind of helped them. Even if they're not on that plan, I actually have no idea what plans they're on because we don't talk about it, but I know that it ultimately benefited them. And so I, I feel proud to have been involved in that. That's awesome, man. What a great story and a great insight. And, you know, it just kind of makes you think, you know, how do you do better listening? You know, one way is, is, is surveys. 
you do them online, you stand there with a clipboard, like what's the best way to get feedback from consumers as it relates to their healthcare? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think some of it is that. I think some of it, honestly, you have to just be prepared. You have to listen and you have to say, it could be surveys, it could be, qual- you know, it could be the kind of traditional ways. You have to listen to what that says and then you have to go out and try stuff. And you have to be afraid, yeah. not be afraid of trying a whole bunch of different things at once. Because what I'd also tell you is in healthcare, there's a reality that some of this we just don't know until you try it because consumers haven't consumed it in that way, right? The idea of getting women's health services at retail, well, if nobody's doing it, how can you tell if anybody will like it or not, right? Until you do it. If they don't show up, then guess what? They probably didn't like it. Or you (laughs) modify it and say, well, maybe I need to kind of... And so I think a lot of it is you have to be able to kind of put in an aggressive test and learn. There has to be a Mm -hmm. test and learn mentality, which is you have to physically be willing to go do it. Now, don't bet the farm. But go and try it and then just see what happens, right? And in that, you will learn immensely. You will learn immensely. Man, what a great call out. Yeah, it's, it's, um, cause you're, you know, that's a great point. You're not going to get everything that you want to hear, especially if it doesn't exist yet. So you got to have that culture of trying and failing forward. And I think that's a wonderful way to listen as well. So you're working on a lot of things right now, Marcus. Tell us about an exciting project or focus that you're most interested in right now. Well, there's probably, I'll quickly sort of tell you two. One is, is sort of going on today. I, just one that I sort of find really compelling based on the results and think there's, I think there's a lot of focus about delivery of medical care, particularly in retail settings. One of the things that, I, that I'm also kind of interested in is this idea of, of what we call them kind of ancillary specialty services that could be delivered at retail. So, you know, today Walmart's the largest provider of vision center services in the U.S. But we've more recently started testing uh, with, through some partners, uh, retail dental services. Hmm. And I have just been blown away at the, just the sheer uptake of those services by, by our customers. And what it's telling me, the reason I'm sort of excited about it is it's kind of twofold. One is that I think we have massively kind of underestimated the need and demand for some of these more basic services and the desire of if you really want to engage consumers in their health, give them the services that they actually are looking for, not the services you want them to have. And so I'm sort of excited about the dental tests that we've run and the success that we've had. I'm excited by a joint venture that we've launched with Quest Diagnostics and the ability to bring health screenings and labs and diagnostics more directly to the consumer as opposed to having them kind of have to go around it or go through a kind of arduous journey through the traditional system. So I'm, I'm excited about improving kind of convenience and access and, and those kind of things. The other thing I'm excited about, going back to the ancillary part, the other thing I'm excited about is as I look at some of the innovation that's occurring, I look, for example, at some work that Google or a- Alphabet uh, has done through their Verily subsidiary where they've de- you know, helped create a technology using 3D imaging of the retina to do diagnostics of where you can not only diagnose somebody with, with diabetes, but potentially use that same device for a whole range of things. You think about now going to my optometrist, and it used to be just about determining whether I need glasses or not. What if that optometry visit could now be a, I can get a whole health screening to determine whether I've got risk for a whole range of chronic illnesses just based off of looking at my eye. Mm-hmm. You know, what if going to the dentist I could use it as a venue to actually kind of engage you in, in your health. What if every time you sat down in a dental chair, I did a health risk assessment where I ran biometrics on you, asked you a few questions, and used that as sort of an entree to engage you more broadly in your health? The answer is you can't, right? The answer is we are. 
And so I'm really sort of excited about this sort of idea of using things like that. Or even, you know, we just had a Walmart Wellness Day, which is a free health screening event we do in all of our stores. It was just this last Saturday. And in four hours in the summer, mind you, which tends to be not as busy, we did full health screenings for 320,000 Americans. And within wow. that, we'll Amazing. have identified eight to 10,000 individuals who are, who are likely diabetic and almost triple that who have hypertension. And hmm. so I'm, I'm sort of excited about thinking about these new approaches to care delivery and how they are engaging people and enabling us to kind of start the journey better. That's super exciting, Marcus, and thinking through these aspects of population health and what you could do to to reach these people, whether it be urban or rural settings, this could have very far-reaching positive benefits to the communities. Yep, I agree. I agree. And that's the hope. That's the hope. (laughs) Hey, listen, man, you guys keep up the work because definitely exciting uh, work that you guys are up to there. As we get close to the end of this podcast, we're going to do a lightning round. So let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare. It's the 101 of Marcus Osborne. So I've got questions for you, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Okay. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? To spend more time listening to individuals, to consumers. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not listening to consumers and spending too much time listening to the interests of the payers or the providers or the product manufacturers. Strong. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think, one, by truly listening, being empathetic to consumers. I'd also sort of say by not being so isolated to your own industry, but looking for solutions in other industries and other markets and other areas, other countries. Love that. And finally, what's one area of focus that should drive everything in an organization? Well, at least in our organization, I think it is that when we're actually at our best, we are relentlessly focused on the needs of the consumers that we serve, the individuals we serve, and that as long as we're sort of focused on actually truly serving people and do that in an empathetic way and do it as well as we possibly can, I think then that'll sort of enable us to continue to be successful. Love that. Keep listening, folks. And uh, what's your all-time favorite book that you want to recommend to the listeners as part of this syllabus? I've always been a big fan, and I've read it read many times, uh, The Little Prince. Do you know who the author is? He's French. I can't remember his name. I, I can't, okay. or I, I could tell you, but I would mispronounce it. So instead of embarrassing, <laughs> because I actually took, I took one year of French in high school and it was such a, it was abysmal. It was the, I performed the worst in that class of all classes I've ever taken. So I'm not even going to attempt to uh, You're too embarrass funny. myself. But the Little Prince, <laughs> it's, it's just search Little Prince. You can't, you can't miss it. You can't miss there it. There we go. So Little Prince, it's an outstanding book. Check that out. And folks, you could get all of the things that we discussed today. Go to outcomesrocket.health slash Marcus O as in Marcus Osborne, you'll be able to find all of the transcripts, details, a link to the little prince, so you could continue your healthcare education here. Before we conclude, Marcus, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought, and then the best place for the listeners could get in touch with you. Sure. So, uh, closing thought, I think is, I, probably this is, sounds like a little bit of a broken record, but I think, again, go back, I, I talk about this kind of a lot now of to the extent you can, if you're look, really looking to kind of drive change, think about what it means to build a, a consumer-only, an individual-only solution. Like if we built it in such a way that the only thing that we took into account were the needs of the individual, what would that look like? 
and start there. That may not be where you ultimately have to end because other things come to bear, but start there. And uh, certainly if somebody wants to reach me, I, I'm, I sort of welcome. I'll, people have my sort of email generally. So it's just marcus.osborne at walmart.com. Outstanding, Marcus. Thank you so much. And listeners, you have, the again, the opportunity to check out the show notes. Go to outcomesrocket.health slash Marcus O, and you'll find all the things that we discussed there. Marcus, it's been a pleasure to have you and uh, super grateful that you carved out time for us. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.